Hi guys, welcome back to Stargirl, it's Emma. Today is Tuesday, January 9th, 2024. Alright guys, we're in it. <laughs> it is the new year. I feel like there's been a collective hell yeah to 2024. You know, like online it's all like, oh, it feels back to 2020 vibes and then the warring over 2016, 2014, 2012, whatever. It doesn't really matter what year it feels like. The point is, at least that I'm taking, is that there's a lightness and a freedom and just a hunger for like new fucking vibes um i think i mentioned in the last episode that this feels like a year to just really ride the wave i feel like everybody is just like chilled out and higher energy um so yeah and like i take every year and birthday and anniversary I'm like big on the on this day feature on iPhone photos. But anyways, I take every opportunity to do like a reflection reset exercise. But some years it does feel like forced or like the goals I come up with end up feeling arbitrary. And then I'm like, why, why am I even doing this? You know, um, but this year I feel more clear headed, I think than I have in a long time. Like it's just increasingly obvious to me what I want, what I want to spend my time doing and who I want to do it with. But this general spirit of new year's reset, rejuvenation, reflection, um, kind of inspired today's episode on Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, cause I think on a surface level, many themes that goop, and Gwyneth take as their subjects. So like health and wellness, self-care, you know, manifestation, diet, exercise are things that people often tackle as part of a new year's resolution or intention or kind of lifestyle change thing. So I thought that this would be a good opportunity to look at Gwyneth's contributions to capital W wellness, um, like how wellness is defined under the Goop worldview, how Gwyneth helped to mainstream many of the values and practices and products and language and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you know, like health and wellness are concepts that are continually being redefined and debated and restylized. Um, but I want to look at like, what is Gwyneth's submission to that timeless discussion. Um, and today, like in 2024, I think of Goop as a brand as quite dated. Um, like I think just the look and feel of it doesn't feel current. And part of that I think is because it was heavily marketed toward older millennial women who, as time rambles on, are now not like the target youth culture that most cool sceny branding is trying to appeal to. Um, and I think part of what makes Gwyneth and Goop feel a little bit past their moment is that we are today out of the heat of the criticism. You know, like a couple of years ago, there was a lot of energy and real tension felt around them. And I think that that's kind of died out. And I also just think like, as I talk about all the time on this podcast, narratively, we don't have infinite bandwidth to like keep talking about the same conversation or be mad about the same things. And so the criticism that Gwyneth received just kind of like rinsed itself out. And I don't know if we want to date it as like last year's Gwynnescent moment, or maybe that's too tidy. But at some point, Gwyneth transcended the rich entitled white lady criticism and got knighted into the like mother is mothering space, um, which whatever. Um, this is all to say that we are almost treating Gwyneth as a near historical figure to ask, like, what conversations did she propel forward, bring to the service? What did critics and consumers see her as a symbol of? And I will say up top that I was never drawn into the world of Goop. A lot about it really 
alienated me and felt totally not appealing, which I find surprising um, considering how much I've realized in researching this episode, how much I agree with Gwyneth about so many things or at least share so many interests with her. Um, But this fact in and of itself, that is Goop not appealing to me, even though in many ways I'm like, should have been their target customer, um, kind of brings me to the thesis of this episode, which is like Goop wasn't able to capture the real soulful center that Gwyneth was trying to express and share, but she actually is really awesome. So like Goop flopped, but Gwyneth is actually super far out um, when you look a little closer. And I also don't fault Gwyneth for failing to capture what I now think she was attempting to capture. Um, Because, you know, like, read at the highest level, Gwyneth was embarking on a massive project, which is to, like, inspire people to pursue a deep spiritual connection, primarily through their relationship to their body. She is really attempting to express this feeling of divinity and like of of the sublime, you know, the search for it and the presence of it. And so with Goop, she was trying to translate that existential longing and search into like tangible products that we would use and buy. And she's obviously not the first or only person to try to do that. But I think that Goop really failed to capture that transcendent energy that Gwyneth was clearly interested in cultivating in her own life. And today we're going to talk about why I think that is. Um, But I do encourage everyone to go straight to the source on this one and just immerse yourself in Gwyneth's actual vibes as distinct from Goop. Not her courtroom fashion or her 90s red carpet stuff, although that is fabulous as well, obviously. But like actually listen to her talk in interviews and on the Goop podcast, which she co-hosts with this woman, Cleo Wade. But the ones where Gwyneth is actually the interviewer or just talking about herself, I think are the best. At least I enjoyed those the most. Um, Anyways, but I just encourage you to go to those because she is actually really soulful and sexy and psychedelic and wise. Um, Yeah, all traits that, like I've said a million times already, Goop just never captured in the majority of its products or tone um, or even like the consumer base they seem to be targeting. So... Okay, well, let's just dive straight in. Um, So Gwyneth Paltrow was born in 1972 in Los Angeles to the actress Blythe Danner and the producer Bruce Paltrow. Don't worry, we're not going to do a full bio. I assume everybody knows the major plot points of Gwyneth's life. But um, I bring this up because a couple things. One, because privilege was the umbrella under which the vast majority of criticisms of Gwyneth stemmed from whatever that sentence is fucked you know what I mean um I think it's important to note this that she came from an entertainment family you know I think we're beyond the like nepo baby discourse at this point but like I've always quite liked learning about these lineages. Like, I think it makes things feel more mythological when, like, the kids and the parents share a craft or you see the influence of the parents on the kids. I think I'm quite drawn to, like, big family narratives like that. Like, I love the Barrymores and I obviously love the Kennedys. Like, I think it's... um feels it makes the world feel storybook like um so I just wanted to say that but then also and much more importantly important to reference her parents because Gwyneth herself talks so much about her parents specifically her dad who died when he was in his 50s um relatively 
suddenly or, you know, with not much time from when he was diagnosed to when he died. Um, And so this fact, her dad dying quite young, has clearly become a huge part of her own interest in longevity and health um, and just her relationship to mortality in general. So I think that that is of note. Um, And also she just adores her parents. This was something that really came through clearly to me when immersing myself in her vibes. So 2023 was the 15th anniversary of Goop being in existence. And they did a special podcast episode like commemorating that birthday. And in it, a like longtime family friend of Gwyneth calls in and asks her about her family. And Gwyneth talks about her mother being this incredibly free spirit who just had this like incredible connection to the artistic muses. And then she says that her dad had this unconditional radiant love for his family. When she picked up on those two things, like the main qualities she appreciated about her parents, I was like, wow, this bitch clearly knows up from down. Like she really knows the fucking vibes. Like that's like my dream to have my daughter be like, oh, my mother was had this crazy artistic fire and free spirit and my dad just unconditionally loved and protected his family and that was evident to all anyways okay so fast forward whatever Gwyneth becomes an actress okay so obviously she was like a darling of 90s Hollywood she's in a ton of popular movies from the time so like Seven Emma Shakespeare in Love for which she won the Oscar um and I actually just rewatched that last week I hadn't seen it probably since I was in high school and super weird movie like, like it's such an emblem of it's time. Dave and I couldn't stop talking about like their facial hair. Anyways, uh, she's in Great Expectations, A Talented Mr. Ripley, um, a little later The Royal Tenenbaums, which is an essential text in the ripe, convincingly playing dead situation. And then a little later, she was in Iron Man, um, which I bring up because she brings it up all the time because she broke her knee on set. And that becomes another big theme in her fitness and longevity journey. (laughs) Anyways, she was known from this time, obviously, as kind of a great young beauty, you know, in part for her high profile relationships with like Brad Pitt, Ben Affleck, um, Chris Martin, which I'll come back to in a bit. And her specific type of facial beauty is kind of interesting to me. Gwyneth has quite small, delicate features and almost this like elven beauty, um, which I don't think we have been interested in as much of late. Like I think we're more into just like big, wide features, which actually I tend to share that preference as well. Um, I'm trying to think of like who's carrying that elven beauty torch. It's like like Hunter Schaefer has that, you know, that where the cheekbones and the ears are in the same line. Um, and kind of Elle Fanning, though she's a little more cherubic, I guess. Um, but anyways, a big part of the narrative with Gwyneth, it would seem, is like, oh, at a certain point, she stopped acting so much and like started doing goop. You know, like there's always kind of a snarky introductory clause that's like, you know, saying something to the effect of that her not having been a leading lady in quite some time and yet her fame raging on through this esoteric health decentralized company, you know? Um, But actually one thing that I saw her in relatively recently that she was so good in is when she plays the mom in the... (laughs) in The Politician. Have you guys seen this? I think it's a Netflix series. Anyways, it's a pretty obnoxious show, but she's so good. She just plays this like 
rich mom to this guy who's trying to become the student council president. And she lives in this like huge, like new age villa in maybe they're in Santa Barbara. I don't know. Anyways, there's this great scene where she's like outside in her massive, gorgeously manicured garden in a like in a fuchsia Carolina Herrera, huge fluffy dress and a um a straw sun hat and with the like neck strap cinched all the way up to her chin and she's like cutting the roses the sun comes out in a moment of this dress and she's just like hi honey so i think that's kind of actually peak recent gwyneth acting in my book um but anyways as i mentioned so she becomes increasingly known for not her acting but more her new age vibes and this is even before she starts goop so um you know something that's constantly referenced is that she showed up to a movie premiere in 2004 with cupping marks on her back which you know now 20 years later it's like oh my god that's a that's a dime a dozen seeing girls like posting like half nude cupping photos um then like her naming her daughter apple obviously it's not the first new age celebrity baby name but in my memory that was a big deal or at least like my mom and her friends were talking about it so that and then also she like coined the phrase conscious uncoupling when she (laughs) and chris martin divorced although i guess that was after goop already was in existence so anyways there were some dots that the public began connecting about gwyneth as a representative of this new age woo woo spirituality vibe (laughs) and I want to take a beat to just like talk about the concept of quote-unquote the new age for a second so you know today we obviously use that term to refer to a vast menu of ideals lifestyle choices drugs potentially language etc um but the term specifically refers to the western counterculture of the 1970s with people getting into like transcendental meditation and white hippies getting into hinduism and buddhism it's kind of mass adoption of yoga natural medicine and interest in psychedelics right and i guess for historians and academics this new way of being in the 70s was very hard to pin down and kind of resisted categorization um, or even like taxonomy, but we can all agree on this kind of like mind, body, spirit connection that people were focused on. There's obviously a lot of art and music that is born out of this ethos. Um, Yeah, but it didn't start there, obviously. Um, So I'm not going to go into like a full history of esotericism. (laughs) Um, But so the term esotericism um, was initially applied to a series of kind of loosely defined but related traditions and philosophies about life that developed in the 17th century in Europe. Um, And relatedly, we might think about occultism, um, which refers to like, again, wide ranging set of practices and disciplines, including like alchemy, astrology, Wicca, general mysticism, kind of these terms, esotericism, occultism, you'll see used to as, as ways to kind of fit this new age counterculture that appeared largely in Britain and the United States in the 70s, um, to kind of fit them into a larger lineage of sorts and one random piece of etymology that i learned one hour ago and am now in intense devotion to is that the word occult comes from the latin word occultus which means knowledge of the hidden i am obsessed with that the knowledge of the hidden like that is the most enchanted ass shit so yes in general i'm very interested in this space of late and just i was gonna say a piece of history but it's really like a a lineage of aesthetic and spiritual development that I just want to learn a lot more about. So if any of you have any recommendations on where to begin, please let me know. Um, But yeah, I think it speaks to me 
for a number of reasons. One, because as you guys know, I grew up in Seattle, which um, at that time was not like, it was like post grunge, but I do feel like there was still a lot of like hippie shit and like bleed out counterculture vibes going on, but distinctly like not organized religious, you know? And so I grew up with like a lot of yogis, a lot of white people who are really interested in Buddhism. Like it feels very just like close to home for me. Um, So that's one reason that I feel interested into it. And then also I just like, I'm very pro patterns, enchantment, synchronicity. And so I just, yeah, I think it's it's cool to learn about the history of it. And, and why these people were even like seeking spirituality outside of organized religion anyways, which obviously is something that we now kind of shit on. We're like, oh, look at all these new age people that don't have a spiritual home, LMAO, they have to go to Soul Cycle. However, it's a pretty interesting map to chart. Anyways, yeah, so I guess I feel like it's in some ways great that it has been mass adopted because there are like seriously vibey roots, <laughs> but it has also gotten so lame. And I think Goop on the whole, even though it is very well intentioned, fits into this so lame side of things. Um, I think if we're pretty comfortable with the evolution of that general ethos, right? Even like at, at the worst, we're thinking of like 2010's tech CEO who like meditates and drinks green juice and attends Burning Man, right? But there are centuries of groundwork to this tradition all over the world. And I think it's related, or not I think, it obviously is related to what Gwyneth was attempting to do with Goop. So I say all of this because I've seen a lot of comparisons between Gwyneth and Martha Stewart, you know, like trying to fit her into this lineage of domestic goddesses. Like for our purposes here, we could even fit her into like Alison Roman or Ballerina Farm. And I do think she does fit there in some ways. You know, they're all interested in the home arts of cooking, interior decorating, like hosting. Um, But I do think there's another part of Gwyneth that is just much more mystical. Like I think that she in some ways was called to this sort of healer oracle thing as well. And not that those two aren't related. In fact, they often are. Um, But I just wanted to bring that other element so we're not just thinking about her as like West Coast waspy host, you know, there's a whole other thing going on. And just if I haven't hammered it home enough, my position is that Goop struggled to breathe that transcendent light back into the stuff that they were creating. But Gwyneth is the real deal. And also she didn't give a rip about any what anyone thought while she was attempting to do this and like swinging in a missing all over the place. So that is one reason among many others why she is a star. Um, also want to talk a little bit further about my relationship to Gwyneth. Um, when I was a child and she was like in her heyday as an actress, I would think I was a bit too young to like get what was going on with her like I definitely knew her name I'd like see her on the cover of People magazine or whatever like I was aware of like Jennifer Aniston (laughs) and like uh Selma Hayek and Gwyneth and young Reese you know so I think that she was like omniscient enough even for to like reach a child but I mostly quote-unquote knew her and connected to her through her marriage with Chris Martin because I really love Coldplay (laughs) and I still love Coldplay. So my dad was a huge fan um, and I took that up without protest. First two albums only for sure, like X and Y, Viva La Vida, like that shit is all trash. But the first two albums, Parachutes and Rush of Blood to the Head, they really share this more dreamy, esoteric energy. Um, So like before they started doing just like 
stupid like pop rock anthems, Coldplay was actually very vibey. And so I see the psychedelic connection between Gwyneth and Chris Martin. So anyways, that's a random aside. But like I said, I wasn't ever into goop. Um, Like it just, it wasn't like, a soul home for me. It was never a place that I like look to for inspiration or like aspiration. Um, and it, this feels significant because I do share so many like interests and I guess traditions with them, like an interest in health food and yoga. And like, I mean, this is more recent now, but an interest in like bone density, longevity, um, and an interest in the beyond as well. Um, but it never ended up speaking to me. It's only like when I was like digging that I was able to even uncover these subterranean values. Um, But I think I kind of became a defender of Gwyneth without any good reason. It was mostly just because I felt like the criticism of her was very boring and dumb. (laughs) Like, So I got kind of defenses of her just because it irritated me, not because I particularly had any like real loyalty to her. Um, We will get into the criticism shortly, but just wanted to note that. Okay, so let's talk about Goop. So Goop began in 2008 as a newsletter, an email newsletter that Gwyneth was penning from her home in London. So at that time, it was mostly just recipes that she wanted to share. So I'm not going to go into the tit-for-tat evolution of it, but today, Goop is a newsletter, a podcast. They have Goop Beauty, which they're like their own beauty products that they are putting out into the world. G Label by Goop, their clothing line. Goop Wellness, which is like vitamins, etc. Two Netflix shows, Goop Kitchen in LA. Goop Health, which hosts like wellness summits, as well as the Goop Cruise, which actually this has come up before. There's a Lauren Euler wrote a piece in Harper's just winter 2023 about it. So I guess to that point, like I was saying, like we're kind of out of the height of the criticism of Goop. Like I don't think there's that much runway or like, you know, juicy energy there anymore. Um, I still stand by that. And yet not even a year ago, Harper's is running this like 6,000 word piece on it or like, okay, I don't know the word count, whatever. Anyways, so Goop has all of its own products as well that it is like developing and selling but it has retained just also being like a recommendation hub (laughs) in a lot of ways and you know I think like a huge limit of goop is like how decentralized the whole thing is as opposed to skims which we were talking about last episode where like every new line or like piece or vibe that Kim adds to skims still feels like within the world where like obviously everything that goop produces is in the same ethos but like even when I was starting to prepare for this I was like where do I even go to like consume it you know it's like it's all over the place um and I think this is something that obviously just editorial projects in general are struggling to like figure out how do we wrangle all of these different arms and make their like one url that like people know where to what they're looking at you know or what they're dealing with so I feel like goop is kind of it's like messy in that way. <laughs> um, whatever. We know that Goop either makes or promotes a bunch of wellness related things on a spectrum of normal and makes sense to kind of this quote unquote new age woo woo stuff, which we'll talk about how the vibes get really bad. Um, But Goop certainly became an emblem of capital W wellness culture in the 2010s and potentially like a stand in for the entire, I don't know, what do you call it? Subculture? Market schema? Just like a vibe? (laughs) 
And this had a real moment. There was really kind of a gaping hole that wellness culture and self-care, there was a hole that that was filling and women were yearning for something that centered themselves and care more and and kind of beauty as well um, and serenity more than this like outward corporate masculinized, you know, version of success or something. Um, There's actually this article in the New York Times Magazine from 2018 by Taffy, who, I don't know, I'm not in general, the biggest Taffy fan. Um, But I did really like this article. And I feel like she was a surprisingly vulnerable in it and b kind of captured the essence. Anyway, so here's how she describes the pull for women toward and then away from the ethos that Goop became a stand in for. Okay, so she writes, The minute the phrase having it all lost favor among women, wellness came in to pick up the pieces. It was a way to reorient ourselves. We were not in service to anyone else, and we were worthy subjects of our own care. It wasn't about achieving. It was about putting ourselves at the top of a list that we hadn't even previously been on. Wellness was maybe a result of too much having it all, too much pursuit, too many boxes that we'd seen our exhausted mothers fall into bed without checking off. Wellness arrived because it was gravely needed. But before we knew it, the wellness point of view had invaded everything in our lives. Summer solstice sales were wellness. Yoga in the park is wellness. Yoga at work is wellness. Yoga in Times Square is peak wellness. When people give you namaste hands and bow to you as a way of saying thank you. Okay, I actually do do that. (laughs) Um, But the organic produce section of Whole Foods. Whole Foods. Hemp. Oprah, CBD, body work, Reiki, so is soul cycle, acai, antioxidants, the phrase mind body, meditation, the mindfulness jar my son brought home from school, kombucha, chai, juice bars, oat milk, almond milk, all the milks from substances that can't technically be milked, clean anything, living your best life, living your truth, crystals. So I think that is a pretty accurate progression of not only the kind of way we very quickly tired of the whole wellness beat, um, but also the progression of like all of the things that were welcomed into that space um, without much critical thought and also just like with bad packaging. Like (laughs) the moment got old so quick. Like I feel like almond milk had like a very short window of even being cool. And then everyone's like, okay, pendulum swing back to whole milk and whatever. As we'll talk about later, like food wars are always going to happen forever. And like fad diets or whatever, but like we got to take this a level up. We can't get that mired in the details. Anyways, so I do think that Taffy has a good summation of what's going on, but I will say that like it wasn't just eye roll, right? Like there was also a lot of real hot anger and tons of instances where people and scientists and doctors were really furious about the misinformation that Gwyneth was spreading by a goop, right? So some examples that Taffy calls out in that article is like um, doctors being really upset that goop, they had written an article about underwire bras being linked to breast cancer, but they only cited this study that had been like, had come out in like 1995 and had been like debunked for years among the scientific community. Um, And what are some other things? Oh, like this, this assertion that like you needed to be steaming your vagina and that there were so many instances of medical professionals or otherwise thinking that Gwyneth was doing pseudoscience, right? And again, that existed on a spectrum of just like, okay, this is dumb to like, this is dangerous. And another thing that I actually didn't even know about until reading this Taffy article was that the Goop magazine was originally trying to work out some partnership where it would be published under Condé Nast, um, but that fell through in the end because so much of the stuff that Gwyneth wanted to run or explore like wasn't science that had been done in pure 
peer-reviewed publications or whatever, I understand that. Okay, I'm not trying to be like, whoa, blah, blah. You guys are so antiquated in your thinking. But I'm just going to raise the possibility that she actually was doing like pretty cutting-edge stuff and Condé Nast wasn't ready for that, you know? Like, I think that as much as we want to just say, like, Gwyneth is, like, out to lunch, she actually is doing it, like, pretty early. Like, all of her interest in psychedelics is super interesting to me. Um, And, again, that can be written off as just, like, okay, like, rich California burners, whatever. But um, I just want to say that, like, as I said at the beginning, like, she actually is pretty far out as well. Oh, and actually, on that note... um, one thing about the Goop magazine is look up the first cover of it. I had never seen it before. It's this amazing photo of Gwyneth naked, like shot from above, and she's covered in this like body mud mask. And then it says in kind of 70s groovy font, Earth to Gwyneth. Anyways, so back to the criticism of Gwyneth, there's like the things in the vein of like, it's insane and it doesn't work. It's not medically proven. It's like actually dangerous. Um, And then there's also the whole like cultural appropriation side of things, right? Where Gwyneth's interest in repackaging of selling of ancient and often Eastern or indigenous remedies and medicines is like just kind of textbook appropriation to to many people. And then there's also the vein that's just like sheer envy. And I think this thinly veiled envious snarky tone around Gwyneth and Goop was what made me interested in her because I was like, okay, well, your haters seem like repressed. So I'll probably just side with you, but I don't even know what what's the fight is about. Um, anyways, okay. So this envy is also captured in that taffy piece as well, but in a way that I actually think is more vulnerable because at least she's like admitting it. So I'll read this passage to you. This comes after she has met with Gwyneth in her home in LA, or maybe it's her Santa Barbara home. I can't remember where they are. I think it's actually in her LA one. Okay. It doesn't matter. Whatever. And anyways, Taffy has met Gwyneth and she's met her children who are super well-mannered. And she's seen Chris Martin and Gwyneth interacting in this very civil and actually quite affectionate way. Um, despite their divorce. And she's been admiring Gwyneth's tiny feet with high arches. And then the two of them smoked a cigarette together. And Gwyneth says that she only allows herself a few cigarettes a year and that she really keeps that promise to herself. So anyways, then Taffy has arrived back at her Airbnb and this is what she says. So she writes, I thought about my children, one of whom plays the flute, but unwillingly and therefore won't practice. Yes, I thought about my children, only one of whom might shake your hand while the others would sooner spit on it, though they will both reliably do an elaborate orchestration of armpit farting while I'm trying to hear myself think. I thought of my mother and father and an earlier conversation I had with my sisters that day about where to arrange our parents in a room for one of our kids bar mitzvahs so that they wouldn't interact. So raw still are the wounds 35 years after the divorce. I thought of my big, disgusting size 11 feet, which are wide and flat and have the look of scuba flippers and which designers have shod only begrudgingly. I thought about the word aspiration, how to aspire seems so noble, but how aspiration is always infused with a kind of suffering, and I smoked another cigarette. So I feel like that is the best of the tones that were applied to Gwyneth when exploring this feeling of her life is perfect. She has it all. The only reason she's even able to like dabble in the woo-woo arts is because she has, because she's rich and famous and whatever. Um, I guess I would say from my own life, being neither rich nor famous, the woo-woo arts are always available to you. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, but but to be real, like the envy of Gwyneth, even though it's something that I don't personally feel toward her, is obviously something that I understand. Um, but I think that I am privileged by the fact that I'm a generation younger than her. Um, and I also think this is one reason why Goop was so popular with millennials, um, although it was probably obviously popular with Gen X as well. Um, but I think that we were more accepting of what she was selling because we weren't her age. I don't have to compare her 51-year-old self to my 50-year-old one self. I get to use her 50-year-old one self as a model for what I would like to be when I get there, which is 20 years in, in the future and therefore like a massive unknowable abstraction, right? But letting myself just be like, oh, I want a lot of things that she is, you know, I want to be healthy. I want to be mobile. I want to be live. Um, I do want to be, I want to feel beautiful. Um, for me personally, I want to be a wife and a mother and a maker of a home. Um, and also I want to be someone who has remained curious about and open to the world who has like never stopped thinking for herself and building more, self-trust and peace she's like really following her gut in ways that like sometimes ends up being wrong or ends up getting her ridiculed i was talking about that goop podcast episode in the kim episode where she commends her for being a really free thinker and i feel like gwyneth is allowed to give out that compliment because she has really proven herself to be one as well um so i like her like blissful energy that is still very exploratory and active rather than like angry sedentary okay so now let's talk about like what is goop's message and how did they fail so i think broadly goop's message is just like self-optimization like most of the things that they engage with fall under that umbrella and i think that like the idea of self-optimization today and even like five years ago i mean that that gia essay that's come up multiple times um always be optimizing that captures this negative association with the term right i think the connotation today is like this sterilized non-sensual soulless journey of relentless self-improvement um and rules right so we might think of like an angry mom up at 4 a.m and her hair is falling out from stress or even like the one or two years ago like the that girl archetype of this like maniacal chick who has all of these like quote-unquote rituals that are actually just like really stressful to upkeep you know this this desire for self-improvement actually just comes from self-hate and like being a control freak um so that's one criticism of self-optimization i think another is that because it implies like personal responsibility as a means to health it's viewed as quite a privileged position um, or even dangerous because it seems to ignore the systemic reasons that people might not be healthful because they're poor, because they have chronic sickness, because we have a terrible healthcare system, like so many other things. Um, so I, I see and have genuinely felt both of those things. And I think that Gwyneth's interest in the space of so-called self-optimization actually seems to come from a very soulful, expansive place. But as I've said a million times, Goop failed to capture that more esoteric vibe. Um, so one, which I already mentioned, is like, I think their market segment, they could have gone after like cooler, vibier people <laughs> who were like on board. But I feel like they really targeted this like certain breed of like very repressed and kind of like 
awkward, angry millennial. Um, like, like, okay, if we think of Tinks as not even like her herself, but like her brand as kind of the archetypical goop customer, it is on one hand very like fun and lighthearted and girly and like pro-social. And then it also has this undercurrent of just like repressed vibes that are overcompensated with this like weird crudeness, like talking about vibrators all the time. (laughs) And that repression is betrayed because this type of chick is like also very rules oriented and like the kind of like, I'm not going to text him until he texts me kind of situation. And I don't even blame us for like doing that because I think that millennials were really sold It's like we were sold our supposed oppression in such an intense way that caused all of these overcorrections tonally and not even politically, just almost with their language in a way that was totally unnecessary. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm like, I actually think we need to re-stigmatize talking about masturbation. Like, and then being told that that is like evidence of your internalized misogyny or something. I'm just like, I think it's just bad manners. (laughs) Like, yeah. Anyways, I think Goop ended up just fitting in this space, you know, despite Gwyneth's more soulful energy like that just wasn't able to be captured um like if you watch the goop netflix series which gwyneth appears in a lot but like it just feels so sterile like it doesn't capture the feeling that gwyneth obviously harbors that like a relationship with your body and pursuing that either through food or exercise or drugs or sex or clothing that that could be like a really exalted experience and instead it kind of just feels like proto-medical but in all of the like wrong ways like it's like I don't know it just feels kind of like women with too much time on their hands with this like base level repression that like of course it's a good thing to like to to want to liberate yourself like and to want to liberate other women as well but I don't think that she made it feel that sexy like as an example though like this smells like my vagina candle like that is actually not giving liberated vibes it's like screaming sexual frustration to me um or like you know you telling me about the social politics of the female orgasm in a sassy tone is actually profoundly alienating and not hot um so it all just ended up feeling very robotic and stilted rather than like sensual and expansive and also just absent of like spontaneity and play like it all had this very kind of calculated and corporate self-optimization kind of vibe as opposed to like wavy yoga vibes you know so okay so if goop was a flop in my eyes like what a what about Gwyneth is so cool so I spent a lot of time just listening to her talk basically on the podcast and in interviews and such and um yeah so if she wasn't this like masterful stylist in her business or even that good of a businesswoman, like there's a lot of kind of speculation on about the profitability of goop although she is she has said that she never wants to take it public and like i think she's just kind of doing her thing and like whatever um you know and that and that actually fits into another grand tradition of the housewife with the just like for fun projects whatever whatever they want that to be (laughs) whatever they're on the board of a charity or they have a boutique or whatever you know like those were like all of my favorite stores growing up where I'm just asking my mom like what does she do and my mom's just like 
I think she just does this for fun. And I'm like, whoa, okay. Um, But anyways, what was I going to say? Oh, just I got the most out of Gwyneth by listening to her talk a lot. And as I said before, have come to the conclusion that she is actually quite soulful, wise, curious, like deeply connected to her body and to this belief in things beyond her control. Like I do think that she's a deeply spiritual person. Um, So I'll get into some specific conversations of hers that I really enjoyed, but two quick things that I want to note. One thing that I found very cool about her is she seems to view her life and the world in these kind of concentric circles of care. And so what I mean by that is like she's rooted in her closest relationships and expands out from there. So first and foremost, she has this really beautiful and always developing relationship with her body, with her loved ones. And then she trusts that good will automatically follow from improving those relationships and like extending out from there. Um, She said on one of the Goop podcast episodes, like wellness is about being as close to yourself as possible. Um, So that kind of evinces that and um also as I talked about at the beginning like with her whole relationship to mortality which obviously drives a lot of her interest in healthful practices that can support longevity um anyways that stems from her experience losing her father when he was quite young and her experience being a mother and I think that I don't know if that's that unique but I thought it was cool to hear articulated just that like her experiences are driving her interests as opposed to like superimposing interests onto herself. Um, And then another place where this personal experience first understanding of the world shone through was in this podcast episode with a friend of hers, this woman, Monique Melton, who I didn't know of before. She founded this community called the Shine Bright School, which provides like education, like courses, workshops, et cetera, kind of in service of black liberation is what how they speak about it um but in this episode Gwyneth has her on and Gwyneth talks about being really drawn to Monique's work because she really centered like relationships Gwyneth says like you know I really wanted to do more proper like anti-racist learning and work because I wanted to improve my relationships and I guess that feels kind of obvious but I also think I felt my like nervous system kind of get agitated when I heard her say that because I think that's something that we're so not used to just hearing people say like we we more speak in the language of like oh I want to like you know dismantle this oppressive system I want to unlearn my privilege and it made me really trust Gwyneth I think when I heard her say that because it felt like even though it was kind of like awkward and unexpected and like oh shoot where is this conversation gonna go she's just kind of airing that impulse of like you know I want to have a stronger friendship with you um and so I thought that was quite um brave of her honestly um so that is one thing that stuck out to me is how she's really like living her life from her experience rather than overwhelming herself with this kind of like top-down social cause that she you know feels anxiety or guilt to like scramble to to showcase that she's a part of. I'm not saying that all global scale activism comes from that paranoid place, certainly not. Um, But I think like Gwyneth doesn't even try to act like she's doing anything else other than just like walking her path. Um, The other thing that stuck out to me about Gwyneth's 
view on the world is that life is something to be explored and enjoyed. So back to that idea of magic and synchronicity and play, um, I think I found her quite youthful in um, just her eternal curiosity about things and kind of I was going to say refusal to harden, but I didn't even get an instinct that that she was like at risk of that. I mean, she talks about being quite stressed and like times where she's like been drinking too much or like just been running on like no sleep and coffee or just like whatever scandal of the moment. Um, but I did find her on the whole like very open to learning and being proved wrong and just, I think she's a quite curious person. Um, okay, so... To kind of integrate all that we've been talking about, I want to talk through what I see as like the two big pillars of Gwyneth's message for the world. Um, And those are number one, a quest for a spiritual connection. And number two is pursuing a relationship with her body. So on the quest for spiritual connection, there's so many touch points to talk about this. But the one that I found most impactful is the Goop podcast episode with Michael Pollan, who we may remember from the omnivores dilemma in our youth. So he has since written multiple other books, the most recent of which is um, called How to Change Your Mind. And I haven't read it, But in it, I guess he explores uppers, downers, and hallucinogens. And so, you know, obviously Gwyneth is very interested in plant-based medicine. And they're talking about his research into the history of how different plant-based medicines are researched and then red tape around them and then legalized and then whatever. And, you know, there's probably a a similar push-pull relationship with investigations into all drugs. But anyways, very fascinating. And um, I think I would just like really encourage everyone to listen to this episode, like the energy that is created between the two of them and Gwyneth's just really sincere interest in it and like wanting to continually put herself in positions where she can um, be opened up to the possibility of seeing the world in a different way is really cool. And honestly, like, I mean, I could say this just about the Goop podcast in general, but like I found it to be an amazing tool of like nervous system regulation. Like there have been a handful of times in the past two weeks or so where I've been like got a stressful text or like whatever it may be that was causing me to be like in a heightened adrenaline state. Um, And I was like, okay, what do I want to listen to? And I was like, oh, well, let's just listen to Gwyneth. And it's like immediately brings me down to earth. Um, So for that in and of itself, I'm like, okay, this chick rules. Um, But anyways, this is all to say in that Michael Pollan episode. So they're talking about psychedelics um, and she asks him like, okay, if these plants, these natural medicines have all of this positive spiritual potential after they've talked about like his trips and then like how his perspective has changed and how his relationship to his ego has changed and all of these things. Um, So she asks him, you know, if these plants, these natural medicines have all of this positive spiritual potential and they've been used in indigenous cultures for centuries, like could they be evidence of God? She asks it in this, it's, it's almost like a child asking it. It's so sincere. He smiles at her and he's and he says the following. He says, I used to think spirituality was about a belief in the supernatural and that didn't do it for me, basically because he had like a real appreciation for like the real tangible world. But then he says he learned, quote, the opposite of spiritual is not material. The opposite of spiritual is egotistical. And that it's ego that keeps us from having a spiritual experience, which is essentially a sense of openness and connection to something greater than yourself. And so, I mean, that is a quote from Michael Pollan, not Gwyneth, but I really felt that that sort of self-transcendence is something that she is genuinely seeking. And I feel like, 
you know, it's very easy to dismiss that pursuit because one, if you're having these experiences of self-transcendence or, you know, closeness to something else, it's very hard to relay that to other people. Um, And, you know, obviously I think that at a mass scale, that's what Gwyneth is trying to do with Goop. And it was, you know, in my mind, (laughs) it it didn't, it didn't make sense. Um, But I think that you know, that quest for connection to something greater than yourself is such a timeless thing. And like, okay, maybe I'm, this is sounding stupid. Like, this is so obvious, like, hence religion, hence art. <laughs> um, but I think that because we are so um, quick to be critical and for many good reasons around like new age search for spirituality I think that it can just come off as either this like just kind of like stupid privileged and not meaningful or not high stakes thing um but I feel the stakes with Gwyneth even though she has such a cocooned life like that doesn't really that doesn't come in conflict for me I think that I don't feel the urge to call bullshit on it. Um, And part of that is because she's not a person in my personal life. Like I think that when we hear people express a desire for greater connectedness, um, whether it's in organized religion or not, I think that I think that people are kind of like, okay, you know, like. Blah, blah, blah. either it seems like phony we we do that to people not just about seeking something greater beyond but any sort of self-improvement I think like we are now very comfortable being like okay you know like think about when people want to stop drinking and it's like okay this is either just a phase or like what are they trying to signal by this or like that won't last or when people want to start exercising same thing or you know I think just any any declaration of making a grand change in service of of a deeper spiritual center, even though we can kind of come down to earth and be like, okay, obviously that's worthwhile for X, Y, Z ways. I still do think it's very difficult to orbit interpersonally. Um, and I think part of that is just like, you know, it's, it's like uncomfy to hear the declaration. It's kind of just like a show don't tell, but even that, like, I think we kind of need to break that down because I think, you know, voicing the intention and maybe it's not even conscious, but like that looking for accountability and also support, I think it has to be there more. And so I don't even know why I'm getting onto this full track. I'm like, what's, what's the conclusion here? People need to be more on board with other people's wanting to improve themselves and not think that it's just coming from either self-hate or some kind of corny place. (laughs) Okay, well, we're just going to move on from that. And like, well, let's see if some other grander conclusion reveals itself to me. Um, Okay, so actually this next piece, I think, might might lead us back there and, and with with some greater insight. So the other piece that Gwyneth is very consumed with is obviously her relationship to her body. And as I mentioned at the beginning, like talking about health and the body is obviously super contentious. One, because it's a very charged topic. So people either shy away from it or they don't even like they don't even know what their relationship to their body is because it's so high stakes basically um and also because everybody has their own definition of health and that's you know often inarticulable but you have feelings about what you think is healthy behaviors healthy lifestyle choices whatever um and i think therefore we are very quick to be skeptical about other people's health practices one because i think it can 
quite often feel like someone is doing like a moral superiority thing if they like get on a health kick. Though, you know, often when I see myself being like, oh, they're trying to act like they're better than me, they're not even doing that. It's just that I feel embarrassed that they are (laughs) treating themselves better than I'm treating myself. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's definitely good to do that kind of ego check as well. Um, But then I also think there's a real impulse around like, oh, just, you know, does X even work? Like if someone's like, oh, I'm going to start running and you're like, "Mm, really? I heard like weightlifting is actually a better way to burn fat and build muscle or like, oh, I'm going to start like having a probiotic and people are like, "Mm, does that even work? And then I also think it's like just even vulnerable to share about changes you might be making to the way you treat your body via diet, exercise, sleep, alcohol, whatever, um, because it's vulnerable to like state what you're doing in service of health because then it immediately opens you up to people searching for evidence of hypocrisy. You know what I mean? Like, I can't tell you how many times I've either heard or said myself like, oh, okay, well, they're, you know, they're going to stop drinking, but like, you know, they're still doing drugs or like, oh, okay, well, they're starting to work out, but they still like eat McDonald's or whatever. So there definitely is this impulse to just like poke holes in people's idea of their own healthfulness. And I don't have a theory for why that is other than it just must be so vulnerable. And also it's such a big hairy beast. Like there's so many metrics by which you could assess one's health that we just don't even know where to begin. So we're just like, "Mm, you know, he's a big talker. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. He's going to like cut back. We'll see, you know, anyways, just want to note the like the real difficulty of even engaging in these conversations at all. But Gwyneth does, right? She does very aggressively and from a lot of different angles. She consults a lot of different points of view. Like she's very interested in building a relationship with her body that feels true to her. Um, And one of my... other favorite episodes of the podcast is when she has Peter Atia on. And I've talked about Peter before. He wrote the book Outlive, which I talk about in the Lauren Kansky episode. I read it last summer when I had hurt my back and I just found it to be a great resource to just like Honestly, it just kind of got me in like more long-term thinking because I was so just like, oh my God, the next six months of my life are going to like suck so bad. I'm in so much pain and I can't even move Um, and I'm going to lose all my progress and whatever. And it kind of got me into just like, okay, like this is fine. Like in the grand scope of your life, like six months is not the end of the world. And it's the grand sum of all of the ways you've treated your body in your entire life that will like in large part dictate your later years. Anyways, the message in Peter's book, Outlive, is essentially like, okay, yes, you can't game your mortality. Like, there's no way that anyone can skirt around the rules and anticipate health problems that will befall you. But with the things that are in our control, how can we make the most of our years, basically? And so he's really focused on the concept of health span as opposed to lifespan which is essentially like, what is the quality of my life for the total duration of it, not just how many years do I live? So he talks about like, what type of 80-year-old do I want to be, not just like, what type of 30-year-old am I now? And I think longevity as a concept hadn't been something that I really cared that much about because one of the primary identities that I held for all of my life was being young, you know? But even so, reading this book, I got a lot out of, even though it's more geared toward people in their 40s and 50s who are like preparing for the second half of their life. But thinking about longevity was a great way for me to kind of reframe the whole way that I was thinking about 
health well certainly by no means am i like a perfect health goddess i should i guess give that disclaimer like as we just discussed there's like infinite metrics that we could always experiment with and improve on and like treating the body as a temple or whatever um but even so obviously i do spend a lot of time working on my strength and my mobility and eating well and limiting my alcohol and uh, whatever i think in general i'm interested in the space of health and you know incrementally try to make it more and more of a priority um with that I definitely have carried a lot of anxiety about like is this all like vanity or ego I guess and certainly there can be ego tied to a identity around supreme health like absolutely and I think like when I been in like my peak physical shape but also massively depressed and like like I was using my body as a way to like legitimize myself and like feel superiority to the people that I was jealous of you know so it definitely like the ego abounds in any pursuit certainly so not trying to claim that that isn't happening but what the fuck was I just trying to say oh reframing around longevity helped me it helped legitimize my interest in health and treating my body well and learning about what treating your body well even means by a variety of different people's points of view um on the other hand I also think thinking about longevity which obviously Peter Atiyah and Gwyneth both do can also be seen as kind of like a snake oil thing because it's this massive abstraction like there's this feeling of like we can't possibly ever causally prove that x y and z behaviors in your 20s lead to x y and z outcomes in your 70s right so there's a feeling that it's kind of like unprovable or just this abstraction that what what's even the point of it so anyways I'm not saying like longevity is like the end-all be-all but it has been useful for me I guess but anyways this is all to say in thinking about competing definitions of health and what that even means I spent a lot of time thinking about what it means to me and I've landed on it basically just means to me like feeling good in my body as much as possible (laughs) and that my physical body doesn't limit me from my goals but in fact aids me in reaching them so that my body is a source of energy and confidence and that I can spend more time building skills strength and more confidence rather than tending to weaknesses be that sickness lack of physical strength lethargy hangovers fear self-consciousness whatever um and obviously as I was just saying like there are so many things outside of your control that will end up determining your health but it is meaningful to me when I when I have this kind of devotional relationship to my body and as you guys know that is relatively new to me and it's hasn't been a linear progression toward more and more health like there are phases of life when it is way deprioritized Um, even when I'm explicitly saying like my health is my priority sometimes it doesn't happen and like I have to be like okay is my health really my priority if I'm doing xyz and you know I, I use the word embodiment so much on the podcast but like I don't think of that as an end state right like there's no arrival it's not and it's also not just this like vain prism through which we rank women's sex appeal which I sometimes worry that my language kind of devolves into that on the podcast but I do think that embodiment is a profoundly spiritual galvanizing and like ultimately just life-affirming 
thing to pursue. And yeah, I guess to tie that into the spirituality stuff we were talking about just a moment ago, like for me, not having grown up in organized religion or any sort of community that I felt a part of for traits that we shared other than having chosen each other, that that, I guess, self-transcendence and connection has primarily been reached through connecting to my body, like especially when it's in a communal setting. So I'm thinking mostly of like the various yoga communities that I've, that have been big parts of my life throughout my adulthood. Um, and you know, in that quote that I read where Gwyneth is like, oh, wellness is being as close to yourself as possible. I think that people often see that as like you alienating yourself or being selfish or just having like kind of like a lack of care for other people. Cause you're just like all consumed with like your corpus, you know? And I don't know how I feel about that. Like certainly there have been times in my life and I would actually count this as one of them where for whatever reason, like my, my social life and my exercise life, that, that, that feels so like, that's such a like degraded way to talk about like <laughs> the full spiritual expanse that, that I associate with, with exercise, but, um, that those two things don't overlap. But then another piece to it is like, it's unfortunate that there's so much kind of negative connotation around exercise because I but I understand why that is because like so much of the mass market exercise branding and vibes that you would probably see in your day-to-day if you're not actively like spending time seeking out the environments and the people that you want to be around when you're working out are so so bad like the esotericism has been (laughs) seriously bastardized right like I get it like we talked about soul cycle or like yoga studios like y7 if you guys are familiar with that both places where I have put in my real time and like you know gotten some good sweats out of um but they both have just terrible fucking vibes the whole like corporate like clubby but not even a cool club they all feel like a cheap pan asian restaurant you know it'll be like namaste on the side painted on the side of the wall and then it's like a huge buddha lit up with like purple club lights like literally towel looks better than this shit but anyways it's like a lot of it is really really bad and so I get why it's clowned on dunked on why people think that exercise is just for like stupid basic self-hating chicks (laughs) who like aren't sexy or sensual at all and I mean like even Equinox I think Equinox is probably the best of like the big box gyms as like I don't know putting a lot of art direction in their advertising right they do a lot of like homoerotic like mythological feeling stuff um but when you're actually at an equinox, it like feels pretty lame, you know? <laughs> um, so anyways, like I said, I get why a lot of people think that exercising at all is just a manifestation of like self-hate and control issues and not actually meaningful and potentially spiritual that like it is a communion with something, you know, I guess like religious zeal around exercise or like the cultist nature of certain studios is obviously a massive topic so maybe in that sense like no one is denying the spiritual possibilities of exercise um so sorry I don't mean to get too like lone ranger like you know it's like obviously salacious to think about your values of being in conflict with something or like you know like you're fighting the good fight out here um but I like recognize that like a lot of people exercise as well but um I do still feel like even though, as I said, maybe no one is like top down denying the spiritual possibilities of exercise, I do feel like it's kind of looked down upon. I guess a returning feeling that I've had in the past, whatever, five, six years that I've lived in New York is that an interest in like esoteric health 
practices or like kind of woo-woo stuff is not like taken seriously in New York or really that valued. And I understand that, as I've said, because like kind of like mass market manifestation of all of that is like really silly and stupid. Um, But like, for instance, I had a really hard time finding a yoga studio that I connected to in New York after having lived in multiple places around the country. Um, I mean, mostly on the West Coast, but not only. I had great yoga studios in Nashville and in Ann Arbor um, that like it just felt like so much more earthy and like spiritual. Um, And I go to a great studio now, but that's just an example. Or like, I remember when I first moved here being like, like the produce is so bad in New York (laughs) in comparison like to being from Seattle or like when I lived in California it's like bounty is so much better (laughs) yeah and like I'm not I'm not like a health food guru like I also love like a sausage and cheese and like I love a diner like yeah obviously a cheeseburger is my favorite food I actually consider a burger a clean food which we can debate but I know I know a lot of people who are like oh burger like blah 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 blah. it's like whip you know that, that can actually be like a really nutritious meal but anyways, what I'm, what am I trying to say? Like, there's obviously a lot of people work out in New York and a lot of people like really take their health and fitness seriously. And I think that, you know, for the specific scene that at least I was trying to gain access to for my initial years in New York of like literary fashion chicks, um, there, there was just like a massive aesthetic chasm, I guess. And I was actually just having a conversation with one of my closest friends about this the other day where she was like, oh, like, you know, kind of, kind of lamenting that there were certain like kind of New Year's resolution-y, more health-focused practice that she wanted to call into her life, but she was really struggling to like romanticize them in a New York context, which I understand because I think that like a lot of the kind of glamour of New York intellectual circles is more about like being really skinny, concave posture in a dark bar, like smoking a cigarette. That's that's like a very obvious but widespread location for the feeling of glamour that you're trying to access, right? Rather than sun-kissed, rosy, open, free, just like someone that looks like they treat themselves really well. And I, I guess this is kind of like the ripe dead. Maybe this is where the ripe dead came from, is like these these are the two wolves within or something. Um, and it's I'm not saying like oh this is a this is an unbridgeable gap um but I do think they have often felt at war with each other and like the only way that the said relationship to the body diet exercise etc manifests in New York is in this like in orange theory y7 berries kind of energy as opposed to my experience of relating to those things when I've lived in other cities that just feels more soulful And truthfully, like the biggest pulls that I've felt away from New York at the times that I've been like, is this, you know, like maybe it's just not working or whatever, um, have all really been around feeling like there's, it's an uncatchable vibe here or something. But, you know, in in all of those instances, then I've kind of forced myself or David's forced me to be like, okay, well, where does it exist? Like, is this actually about like a clear location we have for a different life and a different value system that we're immersed in or is this just like being fundamentally unsettled you know and I think it's just really the latter right like I certainly have like a myth of Los Angeles um particularly in the 90s though the entire progression from the 70s to then when fitness culture and new age spirituality were really really got going right with like the birth of modern yoga and weightlifting etc but anyways my attachment to that I think is in part because my parents met in LA in the late 80s so I feel like 
like, oh, this is the best of times. Like, it's just like the best vibes ever, just like them playing beach volleyball. But then I'm like, does that even exist, you know? Like, and whether or not it exists doesn't really matter because I'm not going to make a choice around it. And like, it's good to have these mythologies that we return to, to like keep us inspired. Um, But like, you know, if we fast forward to last month, Balenciaga doing a quote, homage to LA fitness influencer culture and Kim holding an Erewhon bag. It's just like, bro, that shit looks so fucking depressing. Like talk about like robotic, dystopian, like non-soulful. Like I'm just like, damn, you could not pay me, you know? Um, Which is kind of funny considering I was just praising Skims, but I think that like Skims just, even though it is also still like tight synthetic shit, like there's something that feels more, or maybe I just don't even consider her like dabbling in the space of like esotericism or something. So it doesn't bother me, whatever. Okay, that's that's another thing for me to chew on over the next few weeks. Um, But, but you know what I mean? I'm like, why does like, working out like connecting to your body which should be the most like soulful sexy earthy thing ever why are we only making it seem so lame you know like I'm like just like damn do I need to lead the revolution like how do we make this shit way more wavy you know like Gwyneth tried with goop and that was like still so sterile and weird I think we are due for like a complete redo of the look and feel around exercise (laughs) um you know actually I I joined a new gym this fall and it's actually on the whole pretty esoteric it's like family run they basically exclusively play like either 2000s R&B or Nirvana (laughs) and they often light incense on the weekends so I think that was a good place to start like to get out of the big box gym and just like get into a garage with some like really calm jacked dudes um Anyways, to bring this all back to Gwyneth, I think that the most generous read with her and Goop is like to remember that she was attempting to connect people to something greater. (laughs) I think that I feel like Goop just would have been more successful in terms of like capturing vibes if it had just been Gwyneth sharing her experiences and maybe even so she could have like done all these forays into like different products and sciences but it could have just been more focused on like her experimenting with things and seeing where it went it seems like a thing where like she had all of these dots on a whiteboard or something and she was like okay I'm interested in cleanses I'm interested in vagina health I'm interested in travel I'm interested in cashmere and then she like brought all of her interest to like a marketing agency and they're like oh yep you know like here we triangulated it and like this is your thing and she was like okay you know but I think that like they got that triangulation just totally wrong like (laughs) it should have been something that I was into like it okay that sounds insane but no it literally all signs point to it should have been something that I was so on board with and like how did it just totally not work (laughs) Um, but for real though, if you re-look at her with the lens of like she was trying to connect people to the sublime and she was intensely connected to her own pursuit of the sublime, I think you'll see that she's actually like way more random and like sexy than you would think from like 
scrolling goop. Like even last fall, she like randomly started doing copper fit spawn con. I'm like, what the fuck? Like <laughs> that's pretty far out, you know? Um, okay. To tie this all up, let's see. Um, what should we even end with? I mean, okay, this actually isn't really like a conclusive statement, but I just loved this quote in, um, oh my God, actually Marissa Meltzer, dude, who knew that she was like going to be so central to the Stargirl universe, but she wrote a piece on Goop this past fall for the 15th anniversary of the company. And, um, in it, she's kind of pressing Gwen on some of her more like testy, like political endorsements or like, you know, pseudoscientific claims that Goop has made or whatever. And this is what Gwyneth responds. She says, if history has shown me anything, it's that I'm always looking back going, wow, that was an interesting thing to experiment with. And I'm like, same. <laughs> but that's what you want. Like, that makes me feel like I've been truly following my spirit down every fucked rabbit hole it's found itself interested in, you know? Um, that actually kind of reminds me of the girls quote where um, it's like right before Hannah's going to Iowa and they're out to dinner, Adam, Hannah, and Hannah's parents. And then Adam makes a toast and he's like, to the next step in a series of random steps. <laughs> and I feel like Gwyneth really embodies that spirit. Um, and maybe we'll just end there. As we would say in yoga, the light in me sees the light in you. Namaste. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. We will be back soon. And yeah, keep fighting the good fight. And... We'll talk soon. All right. Bye.